0: I'd like you to open your copy of God's Word to John chapter 12. Would you go there with me this morning? I hope you have your Bibles and you open them with me to John chapter 12. We're going to go to verse 27 this morning. I'm going to read from verse 27 through verse 33, so follow along with me in John chapter 12, verse 27. This is Jesus here. In verse 27, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. myself, He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. I want you to go back to verse 27. Do you remember Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane? Do you remember Jesus' prayer there when he prays according to Matthew's gospel, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 is a prayer by Jesus that's much the same, isn't it? Much the same. We noted last time that Jesus has recognized that the hour had now come for him to suffer and die Jesus says in verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And that hour, we noted, is not a period of 60 minutes. We understand that, right? It's a a period of time. And this period of time that he speaks of and and says the hour has now come, that period of time, it's a period of time that includes his death. Often we think of his death when he says The hour, and we noted it earlier in John's Gospel, he would say several times, the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. Last week we saw him say, the hour has come, it's now. But it's not an hour made of 60 minutes like we think of an hour. It's a period of time that not only includes his death, which we often think of when we think of that hour, but it includes his burial and resurrection and his ascension. This hour is now here. But first must come Jesus' death, yes? Now listen to verse 27 again and look at it with me. This is where I'd like to focus our attention this morning. Jesus is anticipating the suffering that will lead to his death. And he says, it says in verse 33, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. These verses here between 27 and 32 But I want to focus on verse 27 this morning because Jesus is anticipating the suffering that that will lead to his death. And he prays to God the Father in verse 27, this this passage that sounds so familiar because we hear something much like it in the other Gospels, uh, just of which I read there from Matthew, and we know his prayer from Gethsemane. But now he says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Now there's much more going on here than we might at at first think. Jesus is anticipating the suffering that he is going to face. He's, he's, He's aware of what he's going to go through. He knows the kind of suffering he will face. He is anticipating his death. He is anticipating the suffering and anguish, and that's often what we think of when we hear that passage. Now is my soul trouble. He's thinking of the suffering and death he faces, yes. And there's good reason for this. Note first the humanity of Christ. Think about the humanity of Christ here. There's a very clear view of his humanity. We know that Christ is is living in human flesh, living and breathing, born as a babe, right? Born as a babe and lives as a, as a sinless man, but he lives as a man. But he is God in human flesh. And we see here very clearly the humanity of Christ. It's an encouraging glimpse, I think, of Jesus' humanity. It's encouraging because we sometimes might think of Jesus as not being tempted. He doesn't know what it is to be tempted, we think of Jesus in that way sometimes. But if you know... The New Testament, you know that He is tempted, yet the Bible is very clear. He, He knows our temptations and yet He is without sin, right? Now when you read Jesus' prayer to the Father here in verse 27 and you hear Him say, Now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. When you hear Jesus pray that, do you hear, do you hear yourself when you call out to God for help? Are you like that? Lord, I'm troubled here. God, I've got problems. And, and what do I say? God, save me from this. Take the, take me from this or take this problem for me one way or the other. Get me out of here. Right? Do you hear yourself in that? Lord, here's what I want. Could you just spare me this one? <laughs> right? Could you just not let me go through this trial? I'll take the next one. But then I'll pray for that one to be gone too. Right? Could you spare me this problem? Do you hear yourself in that? Do you ever find yourself praying with a psalmist, as we find in Psalm 69, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. <laughs> right? Never you ever find yourself there? God, the waters are right here. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the floods sweep over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with wanting, uh, with with waiting for my God. Oh God, please save me. We can kind of identify with Jesus here, can't we? We can we can identify with Jesus quite a bit, can't we? Father, save me from this hour. Is that is that what I am to cry out to you? That's us. But when we stop and think about it, think about Jesus. It may seem, it may seem strange to us that Jesus, when we remember that he's God in human flesh, that Jesus would cry out this, this prayer. Why would he be tempted to say, "Save me from this hour"? I mean, he has divine power after all, and yet we clearly see his struggle here. I mean, he could, he could use his divine power to save himself from suffering. Could he not? So sometimes we think, why, why would he need to cry out to God for help? Why would he be tempted to not, not want to face this? We see his humanity elsewhere also, as in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, where it says, in the days of his flesh, there's a reminder, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Does that sound familiar? You ever find yourself crying out to God, literally? God, help me. And the tears stream down your face, and you say, God, I'm hurt. Or I'm hurting for my family. I'm hurting for my loved ones. I'm hurting for my neighbor. God, help. Jesus cried. He cried out to God in prayer with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. See, the Father could have saved him. From death, and he was heard because of his reverence. There's an encouraging thought here in seeing Jesus humanity. It's encouraging to us to see Jesus in his humanity, even though sometimes we have a hard time placing him in his humanity. We think he's he's God in human flesh. He he doesn't need to be tempted like we are. And yet he knows our struggles, doesn't he? He knows our pains. He is even grieved as we are. And that's encouraging because when we learn, as we did last time, that to serve Christ obediently means daily dying to self so that we might truly live for Christ, when we learn that living for Christ means sacrifice of self, and we discover how hard it is to do that, right? Oh, God, this is really hard to forget me, and to think of others, and to want to glorify you. When we learn but that's what we're called to as God's children, to sacrifice self, to forget self, to think of Christ, so that others might see Christ through us instead of us. We know how hard it is, and it's encouraging to know that Jesus knows how hard it is also to give up self. You see, he experienced it. He he did though give up himself, didn't he? And we know he did. But we find him here in this in this moment of his humanity when he says I've got to face this and I'm not so sure. Father, what do I cry? Save me from this hour. That's just the reason he came, wasn't it? For this hour. He also says it, for this purpose I have come to this hour. This is the purpose for which I came. I realize that. But in his humanity, he's tempted to say, save me from this, because as I know what I'm going to have to endure. And, and though he has divine power, Jesus does not use it to spare himself the temptation. Think of it. He could have, with his divine power, spared himself the temptation. But he chose to experience the temptation as humanity And in His humanity, He's tempted. He is not tempted in His divinity. Do you understand that? He is not tempted in His divinity. He's tempted in His humanity. And and that, in a way, is encouraging to us. We see Him in His humanity, and we know that He can identify with us when we find it very hard to forget self. Very hard to give up self for the sake of Christ, for the sake of others, so that we might glorify Christ as we serve others. So in Jesus' humanity, he's troubled as he faces the anguish of this hour, and it's encouraging to know that Jesus knows what it is to be tempted to think of self. Even if just briefly, Jesus thinks of self. It's not easy to deny self, is it? I think I said it last week, it's not easy. We're not suggesting that it's easy to, de- to deny self, but that's what Jesus calls us to. If we're going to be his followers, we must daily seek to live that life that's crucified with Christ so that others will see Christ as we live. We struggle with that. And we often fail to forget self. We often are successful at making ourselves first, Right? But unlike us, Jesus lived without sinning, right? He faced temptations, yes, but he did not sin. Jesus is our example in more ways than one, isn't he? That's his humanity. But I say there's more going on here. There's more going on here. I like uh, what R.C. Sproul says here. I want to share it with you. He writes of it when he says, Too often we read these words but they fail to penetrate our visceral parts. We don't really become engaged with them. We have seen his power on display in his mighty miracles. We have heard his words as he taught with authority. Here he said, my soul is troubled. The word that Jesus used here means revulsion or horror. Our Lord said, my soul is horrified by what I am facing. This is a side of Jesus we've never seen before. True, isn't it? We don't quite know this side of Jesus. His soul is horrified? Why is Jesus horrified by what he is facing? Isn't he God in human flesh? Yes, he is. Is Jesus afraid of the pain he's going to face as he's cruelly tortured and then crucified? Is it the physical pain and physical death and suffering that that causes his soul to be troubled and horrified? I don't think so. I don't think so. As J.C. Ryle says, to say, as some do, that that the only cause of our Lord's trouble was the prospect of his own painful death on the cross is a very unsatisfactory explanation. At this rate, it might justly be said that many a martyr has shown more calmness and courage than the Son of God. Such a conclusion is, to say the least, most revolting. Yet this is the conclusion to which men are driven if they adopt the modern notion that Christ's death was only a great example of self-sacrifice. Jesus' death is not just an example, is it? It's not only a great example of self-sacrifice. So what is it that troubled Jesus so deeply as to suggest, even for just a moment, as God the Son in human flesh, that he might be spared from this hour? There has to be much more going on than physical suffering. Charles Swindoll points to it when he writes, In a particularly transparent moment, we see the Lord overcome by dread. He knew he would face agony on a cosmic scale, far more than the physical pain of crucifixion. Do you hear that? Charles Swindoll says, Far more than the physical pain of crucifixion. Nevertheless, he came to earth for this agony now what kind of agony would this be for Christ what kind of agony is he facing that his soul would be horrified what is it that would cause Christ to be horrified at what lie ahead it's more than the physical pain of crucifixion isn't it it absolutely has to be and here's Here's what we know from God's Word. What Christ was facing is seen in a fundamental and foundational doctrine of the Christian faith. What Christ faces is what has been called the doctrine of imputation. Imputation. This is a this is a wonderful and glorious doctrinal truth. It's, it's important to know doctrine. <laughs> and, and this word imputation, it can mean it can mean three different things. For us, but I'm going to focus on what it means for us, for Christ to be imputed with our sins. In the case of what Jesus is facing, the doctrine of imputation means our sins are placed on Christ. Our sins are imputed to and placed on Christ. As Wayne Grudem writes, And since God is the ultimate definer of what really is in the universe, when God thought of our sins as belonging to Christ, then in fact they actually did. Our sins imputed to Christ. Think of it. When you come to Christ, when you put your trust and faith in Christ, the sins that you've committed the sins that you're going to commit, the sins that you're committing and the sins you're going to commit, all those sins are paid for by Christ. They are taken from you and they are placed on Christ by God the Father. Now, it's not that Christ was sinful, right? It's not that Christ was sinful. He was sinless. It's not that He deserved it. He did not, correct? It is that the guilt of our sins, as far as God is concerned, belong to Christ. And I think that's why, as Jesus looks to the cross, he's in agony of soul. He's horrified at what he sees. And he might cry out in the flesh, and we would too, even more so, to see what he saw coming. And it's for this reason Jesus says here in verse 27, now is my soul troubled. You see this wonderful and foundational truth, this imputation of our sins toward Christ, our sins placed on Him. It's not as if, it's not that He sinned, He didn't, but it's if our guilt is now His. Our guilt is gone and it's now on Christ. So what would it mean for Christ to carry the guilt for our sin to the cross? Well, certainly, it would mean that Jesus would face cruel treatment. Cruel treatment and death by crucifixion, but even more serious than that, and yes, it gets more serious than that, would be the pain of bearing our sin. you realize that? The pain of bearing our sin. Not the sins of one person. The sins of many. The sins of millions. Hebrews 9.28 says that Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, we're told that He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, who had not sinned, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that, in fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that passage is the other side of the doctrine of imputation. Our sins imputed to Christ. His righteousness imputed to us. We're declared righteous through faith in Christ. Wonderful truth. Amen? Amen? It's a wonderful truth. But not only was Jesus facing the pain of bearing our sin, he would also face the pain of our sin alone. He would face the pain of bearing our sin, the punishment for our sin, alone. Now, we know that his disciples, as soon as they came for Jesus, what happened to the disciples? They're gone, right? They deserted him. But it gets worse. He would also face the rejection of the Father as he suffered on the cross, right? He would face the rejection of God the Father. He would cry out then, according to Matthew 27 and verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can we fathom what Jesus went through then? Can we fathom being rejected by the Father On the cross, I don't think we can. Praise God. In Romans 3:25, we learn that God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Propitiation means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end and in so doing changes God's wrath toward us into favor. God's just, righteous, holy anger against sin turns it into his favor. And just as passionate as he is against sin, he is as passionate in his favor toward those who believe in his son. That's what Jesus came to take. The wrath, the just and righteous wrath of God on himself, being rejected by the Father so that we would not have to be rejected by the Father. That's the anguish Jesus was facing. And how was Jesus able to enter into this kind of suffering and agony with the weight of our sin on his shoulders even though he was completely innocent? Don't ever forget that. Not an ounce of sin in his body, right? Not an ounce of wrong in his life. He did not deserve our punishment. But the weight of our sin is on his shoulders nonetheless. And even though he was completely innocent, he is able because in his divinity, in his godness, he's the only one in human flesh who can bear the wrath of God of God for our sins, and have his sacrifice be the once for all complete sacrifice for our sins. That's something we find difficult, isn't it, to understand. It's also something difficult for us to understand that Jesus was able to face the wrath of God and do so without sinning. Have you ever thought about that? Do you realize how often you and I sin against God when we face hardship and struggle? Do you ever find yourself saying, why me, God? What are you doing? Why are you allowing this? Do you realize how easy it is for us to sin against God in our attitude, being angry toward God because... We face some hardship and difficulty, as, as difficult as it is, as heartbreaking as it is, you realize how easy it is for us in our humanity to sin against God, and yet Jesus in his divinity did not. He took the punishment, he took the very wrath of God on himself without sinning against God, without lashing out in anger against God. That's something we also find difficult, because as we suffer, we do at times become bitter and resentful toward God don't we? And we sin against him. But not Jesus. And because Jesus suffered, he brings to all who put their faith in him a complete payment, a complete satisfaction toward God for our sins. Complete forgiveness. His suffering was far beyond anything we could imagine, but he would not suffer forever. Do you realize that? Jesus' suffering was for a, a period of time that would not last forever. Unlike those who reject Jesus, who reject the free gift of salvation, their suffering will be for eternity. How sobering to think that Jesus faced the suffering that He faced because of what we had done. He, he faced in His humanity, He was tempted to say, God, what do I say? Save me from this hour? But no, this is why I came. He faces the suffering and the pain and the anguish, yes, the, the torture and crucifixion, but even worse, the anguish of bearing the weight of our sin on His shoulders as He, as he bore the just wrath of God but just for a time. And then it was finished. And the sacrifice was complete. The once for all sacrifice. Done. You see how foolish it is to reject Jesus? To reject the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins only found through through Jesus Christ and faith in him? So as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, you see the the communion table is set and prepared. As we come to the Lord's Supper, when we remember Christ and remember His sacrifice for our sin, we're reminded of the pain, aren't we? We often think of that. We often come and think, He suffered cruelly for for our sins, yes. And we think of the pain leading up to and on the cross. And we should, but we shouldn't stop there. Think of the suffering He endured for our sins, the agony and anguish of of soul, bearing the weight of punishment that, that was borne out on Him by God the Father. As only the just and righteous wrath of God could be given out. So as we come to the Lord's Supper, yes, remember his physical suffering, but don't ever forget the anguish that he faced and experienced for our sins. We ought to remember and praise him that he bore the ex- extreme pain of suffering on our behalf, yes. And we ought to praise him as we remember. Him bearing the pain of rejection by God the Father for our sins. Rejected by God on that cross. Bearing the punishment for our sins. Don't ever forget it. And we ought to humbly give Him our thanks, yes? We ought to humbly give Him our praise, yes? We ought to humbly give Him our obedience. Willingly taking on Himself for for our own salvation our our sins so that all who believe in him are spared the punishment they deserve for their sins we ought to praise him and glorify him today as we come to the Lord's supper together yes would you bow your heads with me bow your heads with me would you This morning I invite each and every one of you who is a follower of Christ, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I invite you to partake of the elements as they come to you today, if you have not trusted Christ, you should not partake of these elements. You you should allow them to pass you by, but let them challenge you where you are to not let another day pass you by. Take the opportunity now to turn to Christ before it's too late, to to take the free gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins from the hands of Christ who went to the cross for you to bear the punishment for your sin. Followers of Christ, I invite you to partake of the elements. As we bow our heads now, we come to a time of private and silent prayer before we take the bread and the cup, lest we come to these elements and partake of them with any unconfessed sin in our lives. So now I ask the gentleman to come and join me in the front who are going to serve as we just take just a few moments of silent prayer. Examine your own heart before you partake of the elements. Let's pray.